I'm a firm believer in passive investing as a myth, only in so much as I believe that investors, they can invest in you, they can invest in me, and it's passive once they make the investment. But the non-passive part is they got to know you, they got to know me, they got to understand it. Hi, welcome to Ready to Scale Season 3. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. I'm a real estate investor, syndicator, and operator of multifamily properties. And in this season, we're going to focus on dialogues that drive success. Building real wealth is not a fairy tale nor rocket science, but there's so much to learn. So grab a cup of coffee and join me each week for in-depth conversations with successful real estate investors. Conversations that are designed to help you drive your wealth, investment, knowledge, and lifestyle to the next level. And of course, you can always go to my website, elliperlman.com, to read more about investing passively in multifamily. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from Providence, Rhode Island. And today I'm speaking with Lo Hornbuckle. So Lo is the CEO and founder of Sage Oak Assisted Living and Memory Care. And basically this company is a boutique assisted living company. It's kind of a small, intimate homesteading that allows those who need a little extra care to receive the love and dignity that they deserve. And so the company owns about, you know, 40 beds and a two ground up boutique assisted living development in Texas and Louisiana, totaling about 300 beds, which is such a, you know, that's a pretty large project. And the estimated value of that project is $45 million. And today I'm going to, you know, talk with Lo about assisted living, senior living, you know, during COVID and other fun stuff, because this is something I don't know much about. So I'm very excited to learn about it. So without further ado, hello, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So can you, you know, tell us a little bit about how you actually found yourself in assisted living? It's something that, you know, many investors, when they think about real estate, they don't necessarily think about assisted living. What was your kind of path? Well, and I think that's fair. I think the vast majority of of assisted living and especially what I do, which is a lot of is dementia care, memory care, the real estate's such a unimportant part of the component. You know, there there are definitely those out there that sort of, you know, talk about this as a, as a real estate play and it, and it can be, but fundamentally it's a service business, you know. It's similar to the idea that, you know, hotels, things like that, right? There's obviously a service component and obviously with assisted living and memory care, you have a service component, but you also have sort of a healthcare component. So it just sort of combines a few different things. But I got into the business, actually, my background was I was in, you know, I owned a bunch of single family homes and, you know, also you know, worked for a property management firm and, and managed an apartment complex with kind of the intention of of starting my own apartment syndication firm like yourself and, and others. And my dad actually had a really terrible experience on hospice and it just sort of made, you know, sometimes that happens, you, you just sort of like take inventory. And I just sort of realized that I didn't really enjoy managing apartment complexes. And I was like, well, if it's not really giving me anything in my, my spirit, then maybe I could do something different. And so I just sort of stumbled into it. I don't necessarily think there was a linear progression between my dad getting sick and me starting this business. But I do think that I was kind of primed and like ready. So then when I heard about this as an opportunity, it was very intriguing to me. So really, it comes from a, from a very personal place but I got into it for capitalism reasons. And then now I kind of see myself as somebody whose job it is, is to sort of 
upend some of the broken models that exist in assisted living and memory care. And I'm sure as the show goes on, we'll dive into why I think the traditional model is a little broken. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you said that you got into it for capitalism reasons. There's nothing wrong about it. If you find a way to make money and find fulfillment in the career aspect while actually helping people. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's the same kind of, I think, with with apartment buildings. You're improving the communities. You're improving the properties. So you're helping the city and you're helping the community to thrive in that sense. So capitalism is not a dirty word. You know, if there are multiple people that are being taken care of or, you know, that flourish from whatever you're doing as an entrepreneur. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I fully understand the community renewal story that flows from apartments. And I know a lot of people really resonate with that for whatever reason. That just didn't touch me in the same way that it does others. And look, my background was I worked, I ran a car dealership for 11 years. So I spent all day just sort of like selling a commodity, you know, over and over and over and over again. And I just, I realized that, you know, like that's great. And look, I mean, I was selling people transportation, they get to work and have a job and all those things. But ultimately, I just didn't really feel like I was, I was contributing as much value to society that, as I could. And I felt like that sort of combining, you know, capitalism with social causes was intriguing to me. And so a lot of our investors really resonate with, you know, investing to help people. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think, you know, I'm trying to think about how you find happiness and fulfillment in what you do. Because I know, you know, when I'm walking in my properties, my communities, and I know I bought the property looking a certain way, and now it looks much better. You see tenants happier because, you know, we take care of them because they haven't always been taken care of by the previous owner. What was, can you walk me through kind of, you know, your thought and your feeling when you're, you know, visiting your properties? What do you see? What do you feel? Sure. Yeah. Well, strangely, because of COVID, I sort of have been kind of in the command and control role and haven't really been in the facilities very much. But what I would say is, is that, you know, everybody comes to us with a story. And so one of the things that's a little bit different than maybe apartments where it's like, you sort of know, okay, I'm moving out of my place and doing whatever. Sometimes you'll get human interest stories like I'm leaving because of domestic violence or I'm leaving because, you know, there was a drive-by shooting and some moving, you know, sometimes you'll hear those stories, but a lot of times in the apartment business, you don't necessarily get that level of detail. But when someone moves in from assisted living, you know, we're having to assess them. We're having to understand all the ways we're going to have to help take care of them. So they all come with a story. And, and the real common version that we get is, you know, mom or dad has fallen 10, 15 times in the last 90 days or year in this facility. You know, we found them on the ground and they were there for however many hours we don't know. We also hear, you know, the food isn't very good or the hallways are too long. And, and we hear, you know, they made a medication mistake or we hear all these different things that really let us know that we really have to step in and help these people. And so, you know, our model really is a lot of times taking people that are in, in literal distress and trying to ease that distress. People don't like to move when they're 85, 90 years old and their family doesn't like to move them when they're 85 or 90 years old. So when they're moving, there's generally been some kind of, of an event, right? So there's been a fall, you know, we came home for Thanksgiving and we noticed that mom wasn't keeping track of the house or, you know, dad was trying to do too much, trying to maintain the house or, you know, look, I mean, their memory's been in decline. They've been doing more forgetful things. They almost started a fire the other day. So there's all these events that happen in our residents' lives. And so, you know, for us, I mean, it's just every day you walk in and you see somebody and then you kind of imagine what their life was prior to living at Sage Oak and you sort of realize, you know, 
and the great thing is, is one of the best things about our business is the families are very good about telling us like, Hey, thank you. So even when they have a complaint, Hey, I'm concerned that you ironed mom's jeans. I told you to fold them, not hang them or whatever the case may be, or even something more serious. They always kind of phrase it as, Hey, I'm really happy with you guys. You guys are light years ahead of where they were because most people move out of these sort of traditional big box assisted living and memory care facilities where, you know, the ratio of caregivers isn't very good. The communication isn't very good. The food is, is mediocre at best. And, you know, if you want to affect change, you got to go through six, seven levels of corporate bureaucracy to get anything accomplished. And so when you come from that place, it really gives us perspective on, you know, even when we do make a mistake that the overall result is a lot better than what they came from. Interesting. And, you know, you're a syndicator also, so you're investing with other investors do you communicate with them the things that you're doing in that community, the things that you're doing for your, you know, residents, or is it more about the communication is more about, you know, this is how much money we've made and this is, yeah. you know, all the CapEx projects that you were, were doing? No, absolutely. I mean, so a big chunk of our investors really resonate with the story of, you know, look, no investment happens in a vacuum, right? So if they're choosing right. your multifamily deal or one of my assisted living deals, they're comparing it to something. Because we do development mostly, that means that you know our internal rates of return are, are higher than an average deal, at least on the pro forma. But we do think that there's a social element that really resonates. So a lot of our investors are people that have had a, a parent or a loved one in assisted living or memory care or seen their grandmother go through a nursing home. So for them, it's personal. And so what I'm really saying is that's absolutely a big part of our story. You know, we kind of position ourselves as a company that believes in social capitalism and sort of the story I always tell, you can play along with me a little bit. Do you like children? Yeah. Okay. So if I had an investment that involved children, that would be interesting to you, right? Yeah. Okay. And do you like empowering children? Oh, of course. Awesome. I've got an investment that empowers children and gives you a 300% return in the year. Are you interested? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It's, well, ar- it's, arming, yeah. it's arming child soldiers. <laughs> so the point is, uh-huh. is that there are things that get great returns that don't fit our profile, right? Some yeah. people would invest yeah. in tobacco. Some people would invest in, in dirty energy. Obviously not a lot of people would invest in arming child soldiers, but people do because they arm child soldiers. So I guess the point I make is, is that this is an opportunity not only to get a great return, but also help somebody. And we start looking at the equation of being just more than internal rate of return. You know, maybe there's an internal rate of return of sort of improving society. And I think that we have an awesome opportunity to do that because, you know, our model of care is so different and so needed. So yeah, we absolutely do talk about that. Thanks for playing along with the child soldier thing. I think it just sort of makes the point that there is plenty of investments that we won't make as people. And if that is true, then the flip side is true. There's plenty of investments we would make simply to help someone, right? So, you know, think about all the people that go to, you know, $10,000 plate Alzheimer's Association dinners. Well, that money doesn't, you know, that money goes into the association and and it works to try to find a cure. In the meantime, you could put that money in someone that, in, in a company that has real good results in helping people live with the disease, not cure the disease, but live with the disease and have a meaningful life and get a return. So really our business is, is very much sort of straddling that line of capitalism and charity because there's a lot of obviously charitable foundations around, you know, the elderly and a lot of charitable foundations around, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia. And so we kind of occupy that space where it's like you can make an investment and get a great return. But in the meantime, you can stop somebody from falling. You can have someone have a more meaningful life. And so we absolutely position ourselves that way because we think it's a unique part of our business. And because it's a socially positive cause, you know, we feel very good about positioning ourselves to that with investors. And it resonates. Yeah, absolutely. I think, 
that there's definitely, there's some investors that, you know, the focus is, do I trust the sponsor and do I like the area and do I like the investment? But some of them, and I heard it from one of the investors that I've been investing with that said, hey, I just invested in this deal because they have this program where they collaborate with a nonprofit and they're helping the kids in that community, you know, to do their homework and to excel at school. And they're giving that little attention that, you know, I growing up never had. And I grew up in one of those rough, you know, areas. So I thought that that was interesting because, yeah, I think at some point, and, you know, the more you grow your wealth, the more I think, the more you look for a real meaning because you've made it already. You know what? I think that when you're starting out or when you don't have money, your focus is, you know, making money. Once you made money, then I've many times witnessed this shift where you say, okay, I'm okay. My kids are okay. My grandkids are probably going to be okay. Now I need something with more substance. Right. I think this yeah. is where investors meet you kind of halfway where they say, okay, of course I want to keep investing and grow my wealth, but I also want to do good. And that might yeah. be the right combination. And you need investors like that because, you know, think about it, like the two ways you can improve net operating income is you can raise revenue, right? Or you can cut right. expenses. Well, in my line of work, labor is very heavy. So, you know, if we wanted to boost NOI temporarily, what could we do? Well, you know what? We probably need three caregivers on this shift. Let's cut it down to two. Well, does a fall happen? Does care quality reduce? And so you don't want, you don't really want people that are in this space that are purely driven by money. The ones that are ultimately long-term will fail because they'll be exposed for who they are. You know, so it's a little bit, it's, I mean, just like there's obviously examples in your industry where, you know, cutting expenses could be unethical, immoral, right? Like you have a neighborhood that has maybe a little bit of crime and you're like, Hey, let's cut back on the security guard or we're not going to fix the gate or whatever the case may be. So I think it's very dangerous to not I think one of the reasons why, you know, you mentioned capitalism isn't a dirty word. I think one of the reasons why some people think that it is, is because when greed gets so high that you stop to consider the consequences of your decision making, that's when I think when capitalism has a problem. And so I think of myself as a capitalist, but I think of myself as a capitalist that's doing everything I can to try to save capitalism from some of its worst elements. I always kind of joke with my friends that, you know, I don't think Marxism really makes a lot of sense, but I do think that Marx made a lot of really interesting points about why capitalism has flaws. And so for me, can we improve capitalism by considering things like the social consequences of the decisions that we make? Can we think about it in more of a collective way. Like if I make this investment, what good does to society benefit, you know, and you're seeing that trend more and more over the last 10 or 15 years. I'm, I'm sure you probably right. watch Shark Tank. You, you see lots of companies that go on and, you know, they sell a product and they plant a tree or they sell you a shoe and then they give away shoes to someone that doesn't have shoes in, in, in mm-hmm. a foreign country somewhere. So there's an element of that that's really kind of taken hold and it's becoming more and more prevalent, especially, you know, with the generation just a little younger than us. Exactly. I, mean, I think we're both millennials, you know, that 24, 25 to 30 year old window, they're very much motivated by social causes. And Absolutely. so we really, I don't want to say we tap into that zeitgeist because we're just doing it as we think it's the right thing to do. But I think it is on trend with what, you know, we're seeing in, in investing circles. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the points that you made was very important that if you want to boost your into wine, you're cutting costs. Well, it might be easier to do on another, you know, investment like multifamily, but in your line of, of work in your, you know, in senior living, it's very hard to do because we're talking about people's lives that they need care. And I think it's actually not that very different in multifamily because right. you can get away with it 
to some extent. And then at some point, if you're cutting costs so much that you're not changing, you know, you're not replacing HVAC units, you know, you're not taking care of bugs. If, if an apartment is infested with it, people sure. are going to start leaving and bad tenants are going to come in, you know, in a short term, you can maybe get away with it. Not in the long term. In the long term, your property is going to suffer. So in a way, you're going to pay for it sooner or yeah, later. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's certain industries like, look, if you know we're selling shoes and you know we're shorthanded for the day, the consequences to the client are not that severe. You know, if you're shorthanded in a sort of healthcare hospitality space, then it can be a pretty big deal, yeah. right? We can have safety issues. We can have you know all kinds of things take place. And so, yeah, I totally agree. I just I've tried to, like I said, you know, obviously everything we do is to make money in terms of an investment overlay, but we do want to consider those consequences. And, you know, obviously, you know, managing the safety of, you know, staff and residents in a pandemic that happens to be really hard on healthcare workers and happens to be really hard on our clients. I mean, it's the perfect opportunity to realize like sometimes you're going to spend money and there's going to be no return on investment because the only thing you can do is just try to keep those people safe because that's sort of your, your obligation. It's your oath. It's what you signed up to do. And, you know, it's been a challenging environment, but we've been very fortunate. We've not had a single case of COVID with any of our residents. Oh, wow. And that's pretty rare in our space. And even our investors reach out and say, hey, you're doing an awesome job. I'm really proud of you. I didn't think that was going to happen. Has it been easy? No. Have we made mistakes? Absolutely. Do we have a lot of support from the state or the federal government? No. But, you know, we're doing everything we can. You know, when this whole thing started, I said, look, my number's 75. I've got 35 staff and 40 residents currently. And that's my number. I got to keep 75 people safe. And, you know, that's been our focus. That's very interesting. And so you're, the other development deals that you're doing right now, the 300 bed, that's in the works? That's a deal that is in the works right now? Yeah. So both those projects come online next year. One of them is in Lake Charles, which is famous because it got hit by two hurricanes in a month apart. So developing in a global pandemic and then double hurricanes in one of the markets has been really fun. I may have a personal record for force majeure claims in my first two <laughs> projects. I'm having a good time, but... Look, you know, as, as challenging as it's been, you know, we're pushing through it. And, you know, one thing I really appreciate about adversity is that it really allows character to shine through. You find out a lot about, you know, what your partners have character, who's going to be there to ring the bell day in and day out. And I'm really fortunate. I've got some really, really high character partners that, that are, are mission focused. And uh, when you're mission focused, the money follows. Partners that are money focused, usually the mission it results in failure. And so, the way I look at it is if I manage to, you know, turn a piece of dirt in Lake Charles, Louisiana into a vibrant community that takes really good care of people and have managed to survive two hurricanes in a global pandemic while building the thing, you know, I think that's uh, something that'll, that'll serve me for the rest of my life. And I yeah. have a real, real sense of pride in the team and, and, and accomplishing and pushing past things that are difficult and beyond our control. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the value add or positioning your you know, your facility, because obviously there is competition. Sure. It's, it's out there. And I know from, you know, my experience as a multifamily owner, I understand there's always going to be a competition. You don't want to be the only building within 50 miles radius. That means that something is wrong. And there are ways to add value, you know, new different amenities, not sure. in the price, but, you know, good team. What would you say would be the way for you to sell your property to new, potentially new, you know, residents. How is it different than a multifamily asset? Yeah, I guess, well, I don't want to step on your toes and your opinion. So let me ask you, how much of a transaction, and let's say someone's sitting across from a leasing agent, 
-hmm. They love the leasing agent, hate the building, hate the location. Are they going to lease? Probably not. No. But in my business, it's almost the exact opposite. So maybe your business is 80% building, location, amenities, and 20% the person sitting across the desk. Let's just flip that and say mine is 80% the person sitting across from them and 20% the building. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's why I always say it's not really a real estate play. It's a service business that has a real estate Mm -hmm. component. So I'll tell a story and I think it'll answer your question. You ever had a leasing agent transfer to your community and bring residents with them? Probably doesn't happen very much, right? No. I've literally had caregivers transfer from one facility to another and then residents, like I had one time six residents follow a particular caregiver because that's how good she was at her job. Yeah. yeah. So it's very people focused. It's one of the reasons why there are no, allegedly there are, but there really aren't national brands in this space. I mean, there are companies that we know the names of, but the truth is this. You know, if Brookdale, which is obviously like the Walmart of of what we do, if the Brookdale in your neighborhood is good, you think they're good. If the Brookdale in your neighborhood isn't so good, you don't think they're good. So there's not really, it's not like a McDonald's where you just have like consistency over and over and over again. You know, generally speaking, if you change the general manager in a McDonald's location, the hamburger is not going to taste that different. You change the executive director or the ownership group or the management group in an assisted living or memory care facility, the outcomes will absolutely come out completely different. And so it's very much a human resource company. You know, I figured out about my second year in that essentially we're just a really complex human resource company because every bed you have, you're going to have one to 0.75 employees. So, you know, if you get to a thousand beds, which is very thousand doors, very feasible multifamily, you might have what, hundred employees, 50, 75, we'd have like 800 to a thousand. So it's a much different much different experience, you know, so human resources, being able to lead, being able to manage, being able to lead and manage. Oftentimes people that, you know, are right on the margin of, you know, they work and, you know, maybe they make 30, $40,000 a year is typical for a caregiver. You know, their, their life can have struggles and, you know, they can, you know, you can lose a good caregiver to a flat tire. You can lose a good caregiver to a bad breakup because their whole economic life changes, right? Now they're not cohabitating. And so you have to be really sensitive to that because, not only do we have a shortage in terms of sheer numbers, there's just a shortage of just great, kind-hearted people that are willing to do the work necessary in healthcare. And it's definitely a challenge. And so a lot of what our focus is on is, is doing everything we can to refine and keep talent and make sure that we have the best people. And it is not easy. It's probably the biggest challenge. I think if you were to ask, if you were to, you know, poll a hundred CEOs in assisted living and memory care, you know, what your biggest challenge is, they would say staffing, staffing, and staffing would be my guess. Yeah, I would say that's the number one challenge and the most important thing. I think in every company, every entrepreneur, I think is going to tell you one of their biggest struggles, if not the biggest, is to find the right people. It's so hard to find the right people to have the right cultural fit, have the right, you know, skills and yeah. So I think it's really interesting what you said. And I actually never thought about it this way because yeah, it is real estate technically, but it really is. It's, it's not. It's about the caregiver. I don't really care if it's positioned, if the property is in X location or Y location, as long as, of course, it's going to be a commutable you yeah. know, distance. But it doesn't really matter because it's not like they're going to go out and go to town and party, especially not during COVID. If I hear that you're going to have, you know, almost one employee per bed or like you mentioned 0.75 and in another facility that might might be prettier but you're going to have one person for three beds that makes all the difference yeah or you know i mean there's there's a place near me that's kind of like 
you know, this massive, beautiful, like Italian thing. It kind of looks like a casino in Las Vegas. It's just this gargantuan, beautiful place. Well, they had a COVID outbreak and they're on their third executive director in the last five years. So they got this beautiful building, but they're not really keeping the residents as safe as they should. They're obviously struggling to find the right people and to get them on the right seats of the bus. It's just unlikely that anybody, when they really understand what's kind of below the surface, would decide to choose them over someone that's not as nice, right? Maybe we don't have the underwater treadmill or we don't have the, the gym that they have, but we have good care, good food, good communication, and that goes a long way. So really care, food, and communication are, I think, are the core tenets of the business. And look, the real estate matters, but I always kind of joke if someone's looking at kind of, it's a joke, but it's not. If someone's looking at a room and like they're a perfect fit for our community, but the room's a little smaller than they like because they're coming from a big environment. I always tell people, I've gotten a lot of cards when residents pass away. No one's ever thanked me for the size of the room. Not once. You know, so stuff like that, the real estate, it matters, but it matters a lot less. What matters is, did we ride with them in the ambulance to the hospital when they had a heart attack and, you know, their loved one was out of town? You know, did we make them feel comfortable they could go to Hawaii when they hadn't been on a vacation in two or three years because they always knew they were getting phone calls every week from the other facility? So there's a lot more to this. There's a lot more to the emotional side of this than, than just the real estate. And a lot of my competitors, they build commodities, right? They just build you know, bland, you know, same old, same old, everything's the same. And, and they're, they're arguing over, you know, our chandelier, if you look at it, those crystals are real. Let's be honest. If your mom's fallen nine times in the last three months, you, you don't care about the chandelier. You don't care about the carpet. You care. Can you keep mom from falling? Can you help her gain some weight? Cause she lost some weight. Can you help her lose some weight? You know, can you manage her when she's sundowning and it's 5 PM and she's confused? Those are the mm-hmm. questions that really matter. Not how nice is your chandelier? You know, do you have an underwater treadmill? Those things really don't matter in a lot of cases. Yeah, I think you're you're right on the money. Right on the money there. That Let's was, hope so. Yeah. I built an entire <laughs> business around it. So let's hope I'm right. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that was very interesting, very educational discussion. So I've definitely learned a lot about it. We've kind of out of time for today's discussion and we've arrived to the lightning around the questions. So okay. question number one, Lo, what's your favorite hobby? I would say it's probably long range shooting. Hmm. Interesting. Do you have somewhere that you, you know, near your house that you do it? Well, How I live in Texas. I live in Texas. So <laughs> okay. 1500 yard ranges are like a dime a dozen here. Like, you know, you yeah. can't find shoot, you know, four or 500 yards in most places, but I've probably got three ranges that go out to around a mile within probably 45 minutes of my house. So I'm in the 1200 yard club. I still haven't quite gotten to 1700 yards, which is basically a mile. So I'm, I'm pushing for that mile. So interesting. All right. And is there anything that people don't know about you? I'm an open book. So I think they know a lot of things about me. I mean, I, I used to play, you know, I still sometimes do. I used to play pretty high stakes poker and that serves me well in business because, you know, you, you got to be able to manage your emotions and you learn a lot about risk playing poker. It's different than life, but there's definitely some lessons you can take from poker in life. So I think that's been something. So I'd say that's one thing that I used to play high stakes poker. Interesting. All right. And what's your number one advice for an investor that wants to kind of scale their portfolio and take, you know, their wealth to the next level. 
I would say that I'm a firm believer in passive investing as a myth, only in so much as I believe that investors, they can invest in you, they can invest in me, and it's passive once they make the investment. But the non-passive part is they got to know you, they got to know me, they got to understand it. So there's a level of underwriting and level of due diligence on the investor side. And sometimes it's even just synergy, right? Like, do we have the same outlook on things, right? Like if I'm not interested in multifamily and Birmingham, Alabama, and that's what you do, then there may, you know, that's obviously a synergy question. So I would say to investors, it's really just do the due diligence on the person on the other side of the equation, who the key person is on the other side of the team. And if you like them, do the best you can to invest in many of their deals as possible because, you know, you can do 10 deals and nine go amazing and one's not so great. You know, if you're cherry picking and you pick the wrong one, then you're not going to benefit from, you know, the whole track record of success. Interesting. All right. So, Lo, if investors want to reach out to you, talk to you about investing in assisted living, where can they find you? Obviously, I can see you on the screen right now. You know, your website is goodhorncapital.com. Any other place that they can, you know, reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, that's probably the best place. I mean, they can also find me on LinkedIn. So on Goodhorn Capital, we put together, since we were doing the show, I wrote a book about our company called The Say Joke Story. And it's basically about how, and Say Joke is our operations company. It's basically about how the company got started. It kind of weaves in the story of my dad and some other stuff. But if they go to Goodhorn Capital, put in some basic information, we'll send them a free ebook. And it'll really give them an insight into the sort of the heart of our operations, which I think is a great way to do diligence on us to sort of understand our philosophies and kind of how they're different. So happy to give them a free copy of the book. And obviously they can find me on LinkedIn as well. All right. Lo, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And I really appreciate everything that you're doing. And congrats to you and your team on your recent Atlanta acquisition. They're big stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, guys. So that's it for today. I hope that you became a little bit more, you know, sophisticated. And I've definitely learned something new today. Be bold, be great, and keep moving forward. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.